We honor you, Abba Father. Amen. Lord, we are not who we used to be. And we have you to thank for that. The scriptures tell us that we have been crucified with Christ. We're dead. It's no longer I who live, but you live in us. And the life that we now live in the flesh, we live by faith in you, the Son of God. Thank you for redeeming us, Lord. Thank you for forgiving us. Thank you most of all for loving us and sending your Son to redeem us, to pay the penalty for our sins which could not be paid by sinful men. Had to be paid by you. Without the shedding of blood, there was no remission for sin. And Lord Jesus, you shed your blood for us. The very earth quaked. The sky thundered and roared that day when you said it is finished. And we believe it. And we know that it's true. And we have given our lives to you. To serve you. To love you. To adore you. And to tell others about you. Help us to do so, Lord, when we walk out of this place today. So that we can help your kingdom come to this earth as it is in heaven. Just like our Lord Jesus told us. Help us. Anoint us with your anointing. And fill us and baptize us and saturate us with your Holy Spirit to do the work of the ministry that you called us to do. In Jesus' holy name, amen and amen. God bless you, church. You may be seated. For those of you who just tuned in, I'm Pastor Joe Trapani. We're glad you're here. Stay tuned. We're going to get your Bibles out. We're, in, we're going to be in Acts chapter 27, and we're going to break into Acts chapter 28. We've been doing studies on, on storms since we've been going through the book of Matthew, and we saw, you know, the storm that uh, the disciples got caught, caught in, and I took the liberty of putting several weeks into different types of storms and what we can do and stuff like that. But before we get into it, for those of you who just tuned in online, we're glad you're here. Stay tuned. Uh, you can tune in next Sunday. We'll be having communion together, and whether you're here or there, you can get yourself a cracker and some juice, and we'll, we'll break bread together as the Lord told us to remember him. Um, so uh, for those online, this is Freedom Church of the Palm Beaches. I'm Pastor Joe Trapani. We're glad you're here. You know, if you're local, we're at 2810 High Paluxo Road in Lantana, Florida, which is just south of, of uh, West Palm Beach and just north of Boynton Beach. If you're on I-95, just go to High Paluxo Road, head west, and go a quarter mile on the right-hand side, and we're right there. We meet every Sunday at 10, and we'd be glad to have you. Um, let's see. Um, if, you're, if you uh, want to, you can go to our website, where you're probably on there right now. You can, you can uh, find many things out about us. You can find out what we believe. We're a full gospel, Bible-believing church. We believe in, in the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and... Um, and we love the Lord with all of our heart. You can find out our beliefs. You can find our address. You can find our list of ministries. You can listen from me uh, messages from years back if you want to. And you can even give online. There's a Give Life button. Just go there and support the gospel because the gospel needs supported. The gates of hell will not prevail against the church. But the devil is going to use the lack of funding to slow it down. 
And I don't know about you, but I want to speed up. I want to get out of this place. I want to end up in the kingdom of heaven where Paul writes, eye hasn't seen, ear hasn't heard, nor has it entered into the hearts of men all that God has prepared for those who love him. And I can't wait for that day. And I'm hoping that trumpet sounds today as the Lord roars back in the clouds. Um, so um, tune in next Sunday at 10 a.m. for men. You know, we have a Bible study here every Saturday at 9 a.m. It is not streamed, but you can come local. If you're local, come on by. We have a great group of men. We're a small church. The men usually average anywhere from 5 to 12, you know, and a great group of guys. Most, most of them, believe it or not, are not from this church, <laughs> you know. Uh, so, you know, we have a common bond. You know, the Amos 3.3 says, unless two agree, they cannot walk together. How can they walk together? But we do agree, whether you're Presbyterian, Baptist, Methodist, Lutheran, Calvary Chapelites, Freedom Churchites, or whatever rights you are, if you believe that Christ came, that Christ died, that Christ is, was buried, and that Christ rose the third day, that is what we agree on, and that is the bottom line of the church. Don't get off on all the different things that, that the devil loves to throw monkey wrenches into. We are in common agreement that Jesus Christ is the Lord, and he is risen. Now, so uh, keep giving to your local churches. If you're part of this church, keep, you know, uh, so you can send your tithe in, your offering, or even your gifts that the Lord tells you to do. I, I mentioned to you that earlier, because I spelled this earlier with just a church, because a new group of people um, came in. I, I started out by saying, well, let's going to pray for, for Pastor Brett. He's in Cairo, Egypt right now. He, you know, and I wanted to pray for him. I mentioned him earlier. I said, we're going to pray for him, and we are going to pray for him. But he's in Cairo, Egypt, part of this church. Brett just got back from six months in Brazil. And, uh, our Matt just got back from six months in Brazil. Brett's been over in Cairo, Egypt for about three weeks and he's been he's with CFAN, which is Christ for All Nations, based out of Texas, and it's a powerful ministry. And they're big in the in in the African continent, and all over the world, really. But um, if you, I saw some pictures that were sent to me by Brett and and others that we have a, a WhatsApp app. You know, I mean, there's Brett preaching. He even has a jacket on. I was shocked. You know, he has a jacket on. <laughs> but you see out over the crowd, and there's like a sea of people. I'm thinking like 100,000 people. And, I, and his wife was just here shaking her head. You know, now she's been back with the kids. Nona was just here, and she said 100,000 people. And thousands and thousands are getting saved, and they're getting healed, you know, and delivered. And they're burning their witchcraft books. Just like Acts is alive and well. The book of Acts, that's what they did. You know, they did that. And listen, the book of Acts, whether you know it or not, has not been finished. It has not been finished. Paul was sitting in his rented quarter, allowing everybody to come in as he preached the gospel to them. And what a, what, you know, Acts hasn't stopped. We still do this today. You know, every single one of us, maybe from our houses or wherever we work or, or what. But if you want to donate to Great Harvest Ministry, you know that what they're doing in Cairo, Egypt, has not been done for decades. The, the government would not let them in, but now they're letting them in. 
but they're charging them exorbitant rates because that's a corrupt government. So, you know, in order to get that, get the permission to do it, you know, they need need funds. So you can donate. You can go to um, Brett's website, Great Harvest Ministry. Great Harvest Ministry can show you how how to donate. If you're here, there's envelopes in the back. Even though the ministry's over, I know that you know they've been. So they said, Brett said, for every person that comes, the f- they don't charge anybody, but it would cost the church fifty cents for every person. Fifty cents. So there's a hundred thousand people there. There's a lot of money that's been needed, you know. And what's one soul? What's one soul worth? It's worth a whole lot more than a million dollars, you know. It was worth the precious blood of Jesus Christ, the Lord, our Lord and our Savior. And there's nothing more precious than that. You've no, you have not been redeemed with silver or gold, but with precious blood as the lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. It's kind of church we are for those online. Get over here. We're full gospel. We're Bible-believing, and we are alive and well. We're small but powerful. Remember, the Lord turned the world upside down with 12 disciples. So we're right in that group, you know. So God's working. Anyway, also for those of you out there, I wrote a book. You can go on our website uh, and check out our ministries. You can um, you can donate online, or you can write to me or call me, and I'll send you out a book. You know, for there's books in the back. If any of you want to purchase them? There's you know they, you can you can take them. I don't. I didn't do it for money. I didn't did it because the Lord told me. That's it. Me and Liz did it because the Lord told me to, and I worked on it for 10 years. So, you know, and it's about Lord. I have a warning page in here. You want to hear what the warning is? Word of warning. This book contains a great deal of Scripture, and Scripture will change your life and the way you live. Listen, Scripture. It's not my words. It's the Word of God that I used a lot of. If you would just read the dedication page or the introduction or even go to the table of contents, you would see that this is a wake-up call for the church. It's called About Face on Pastor Joe Trapani. You can go on Sulon Press. It's X-U-L-O-N Press, and you can buy a copy. You can go to Barnes & Noble or Amazon, and it's for sale. About Face, Pastor Joseph Trapani. So thank you very much. We're even listed in magazines Christian book magazines, buyer's guide, we're on page 40 of this one. You know, so God's moving. God's moving. And um, I mentioned to you I'm not a great eloquent speaker. I'm from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. It's not creek, it's crick. It's not house, it's house. You know, that's the way we speak. It's not tomorrow, it's tomorrow. That's the slang. But I know the punctuation and the spelling's correct. But, you know, I just wanted you to know, eloquent speakers are great. But as long as they're speaking the Word of God. And it doesn't matter. Moses stuttered. Aaron did the speaking, but but Pharaoh knew who the boss was, didn't he? He knew that Moses was the boss. He was the one getting the orders from Almighty God. And Aaron was just a, a mouthpiece. So praise God. I'm just a mouthpiece of this church. And I choose to preach Jesus Christ, him crucified, dead, buried every day of my life until he, my time is done.
Well, anyway, we're in Acts chapter 27. Um, Acts chapter 27 and 28. Today we're going to break into. We were in Matthew when we saw Jesus calm the storm, what the disciples were, were caught in, and I took the liberty of, 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 of teaching about storms of our life because America for the last two and a half years, at least with things that have been going on, we're in a big storm, not only in our country, but in our lives. And I showed you just, <coughs> you know, three types of storms. I showed you six reasons God allows storms. I showed you I showed you that there's four principles to learn in the storm and we can't go through all that. I also showed you that there's seven things about the storms of life. We don't have time to go into that. I already did it. You know, I passed out some paperwork on it. So um, uh, hopefully you you have it. But last week or two weeks ago because uh, Matt spoke last week uh, from uh, gave us an update on what was done in Brazil for those six months that he was there. And, um, you know, we, we started on what I called, when shipwrecked, do this. And I have 16 things. I went through eight of them last week, and I'm going to review them today. We are actually going to look at a storm, a physical storm, that happened to the Apostle Paul, as you well know, in the book of Acts, if you've been a Christian for a while. You know, so... Last week's was when shipwreck do this, and there were 16 things, and I'm gonna, I went through eight. I'm going to review the eight right now before we get into the second eight. Number one was to plan your way. You plan your way. Paul, Paul's plan was to get to Rome, and he, he did that by stopping his punishment, telling them that he was a Roman citizen. And he appealed unto Caesar, which meant he had to go to Rome, since he was a Roman citizen, but yet a Pharisee, a Jew, a Greek-speaking Jew. So, but God had other plans. See, the centurion in Rome planned Paul's trip to Rome, along with other prisoners. But God had a plan. And he was going to direct the path. So this is what, in a storm, you know, you've got to plan your ways. But don't be shocked if God takes you in another direction. But that direction will not include sin, just so you know that. You think, oh, God's telling me to live with this person. No, that's, can't, that's not it. That's not it. it. It will line up with the Word of God. You plan your ways, but God will direct your steps. I told you also, we read that you're supposed to secure the lifeboat as Paul's, uh, as, a, as the sailors did. They secured the lifeboat that was swinging around in this wretched storm called the Northeaster. And, and they secured the lifeboat. And then they took ropes and, and undergirded the ship and tied them together to hold the ship together so in case it was going to fall apart because of all the beating of the waves. They were probably caught in a, in a hurricane or a northeaster, could be a, you know, some, a tornado, something like that, but most likely a hurricane, and it was horrible. The sailors were, they were in darkness for 14 days, but they had to secure the ship. If you want to secure your ship, I related this into the application of prayer. 
That's how you support yourself or secure yourself in a storm, through prayer, by asking and seeking and knocking on the doors of, of God's kingdom to get you out of this situation, to show him what you want him to do. So in other words, the application for securing the lifeboat and passing the ropes underneath the ship is to remember Jesus is with you always, but you have work to do. You can't just sit there and just you know, do nothing. You have work to do. They had to undergird the ship, make sure it didn't fall apart. On top of that, you know why they cast three anchors from the stern, four anchors from the stern, and they wished for daylight. And I looked it up in, in the meaning of that word wished, and it wasn't really which, uh, wished. Some Bible translation interpret it this way, and I believe it was correct. They prayed for day. They threw out the four anchors from the stern to slow down the ship being carried by the winds in order to raise the ship up on higher on the top of the water or uh, to slow the ship down as it went. That's another point I'm going to get to. To, to slow the boat down. So in case they did hit a sandbar or hit a rock, at least they weren't traveling at a, uh, a great speed to just dismantle the, the ship completely. It would slow them down if they hit anything. Number four, they had to get rid of the cargo. They get rid of the cargo, which would mean to throw all the cargo overboard, whatever they were going to deliver. Wheat probably was a lot of food, and um, the tackle, the heavy tackles that they needed to throw overboard. That would raise the ship up on the water, giving it more clearance in case there is a sandbar. So I related that to you as, you know what, that you've got to get rid of the, you got to get rid of your cargo. And what that cargo is, is the sin, the iniquities, the transgressions that are in your life. You've got to get rid of them. You've got to get rid of them. Lighten the ship. Jesus is big enough to carry your load, my load, and everybody else on the face of the earth from, from times past until now, but you aren't. You need to put your stuff, your, your sin at the foot of the cross, turn, rid yourself of sin, and repent. And I showed you that um, here's what Paul told us in 2 Corinthians chapter 7. He says, Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry for your sin, but that you sorrowed to repentance. That's important. You've got to be sorrow to repentance. A good example of that is Peter and Judas. Judas was sorrowful that he traded, you know, traded Jesus in for 30 pieces of silver. But he did not repent. Peter repented. He didn't just confess. And he, he repented of it. He, he sorrowed unto repentance. And then it goes, Paul says in verse 10 of 2 Corinthians 7, he says, For godly sorrow works repentance to salvation. So you've got to be sorrow to repentance, which will equal your salvation. Repentance means turn around, as I wrote in the book, about face, go in the other direction. You've got to take the load off. You've got to raise the bar on the way you live. You've got to be holy as he is holy. 
Number five, get rid of the tackle or the, the weights. Again, it's important. To get rid of the tackle doesn't mean to be sorrow and abuse grace. You can't abuse grace. You got to be repentant. You can't abuse the grace. You, re, you confess plus repent, and it equals your salvation. Number six was darkness. They hoped, uh, all the hope for these sailors, or 276 of them, I forget what it is right now. I should have wrote it down. But, but they were in darkness, and they hoped. Their hope was fading away. Now, you've got to remember, there are sailors on this boat that knows the ship, and they know how things go on the open sea because they're in the Mediterranean. And there's, there's prisoners there which really don't know too much about, about storms or boats in the sea. But these, these sailors, were they lost hope. They figured, this is, we're out of here. We're done. We're going to die. We're going to drown. We're going to get eaten by sharks. Who knows what they were thinking? But they knew, they lost hope. And you cannot lose hope. Darkness in your, in your trial, you cannot lose hope. And I gave you a situation of the Norwegian scientist that took some, two wharf rats. They took two wharf rats. This was back during World War II. They took two wharf rats. They put one in a tub of water with... with uh, nothing to land on, and they put them in a dark room, shut out all the lights, it was completely dark. They took the other one, set them in a tub, and they, and they gave him the same setup as the other one, only in, they put them in a dark room, and only in this room they shot a beam of light through the room. The rat that was in, in, the, in the tub without any light drowned within, within uh, 35 minutes or something like that, or three hours. The rat that was in the other tub with the beam of light swam for 36 hours before it drowned. Hope. If you're in darkness, you have to hope in God. And that hope will give you strength to swim longer in your trial or in your storm. We'll move to number six. Or number seven. You have to hope in God. All hope is gone. Well, what do you do? You draw near to Him. You grab your Bible and you read it. You go to church. You A good Bible-believing church. And you read it. And your hope will begin to flame up again for you so you can get out of this darkness that you're in. You don't see faith. It's faith what's going to carry you through to this no hope situation that you're in. You have no hope, but you have faith in God. You don't see faith, but it's there. You can feel it. It's kind of like the wind that Jesus described to Nicodemus in John chapter 3. He said, Nicodemus, why be amazed? He says, you see the, you, you see the wind, it's like the wind. 
Faith is like the wind. You can feel it, but you can't see it. You come where it comes from, you don't know where it's going. And faith, you do know where it comes from. It comes from God, and you know where you're going, to the kingdom of heaven. So, the application for that is hope and faith draws you near to God. And that's what Paul is doing with these sailors as he's in control, really, at this point. He already told the centurion, I told you not to leave, but you did it anyway. In other words, I told you so, but they did it anyway. Paul even wrote in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12, he wrote, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope without God in the world. And pretty much, you know what? This world is without God. The ones that, that think they know God and don't know Christ as their Savior don't know God. Do you realize that? They don't know God. They're lost in their sins. They're lost in their sins. And people will say, well, that's shallow, and that's, that's too shallow. I can't believe it. But you know what? Jesus said the way is narrow that leads to life, and broad is the, the path that leads to destruction, and many there are that find it. So if you're saying that, Jesus, you know, you can get to heaven any other way than Jesus, then you are actually calling Jesus a liar. And that's blasphemy. He's not lying. He's truth. Nobody can prove that Jesus didn't walk out of the grave. Even Josephus, the first century Jewish historian, he wasn't not a believer, but he wrote in his, his writings that Jesus rose from the dead. He didn't say they said he rose from the dead or they think he rose from the dead. He said he did rise from the dead. Hebrews 7, which we think Paul also wrote, said this, For the law made nothing perfect. The, gen the, the Mosaic law made nothing perfect, but the bringing in of the better hope did, by which we draw near unto God. Again, we see we have to draw near unto God. And one way you do that, of course, is by reading your Bible, going to church, thinking constantly of God. Then we see, and point number eight last week, and I didn't get to spend a lot of time on it, but it's so important. These sailors were fasting. Acts 27, 21 says this, And when they had been a long time without food, then Paul stood forth in the midst of them and said, Sirs, ye should have hearkened to me and not have sailed from Crete and have gotten us this injury and this loss. And verse 33, listen to this. And while the day was coming on, Paul besought them to take meat, saying, This is the fourteenth day that you have tarried and continued fasting, having taken nothing to eat. They were fasting for fourteen days. Paul didn't say they didn't eat in 14 days. He said they were fasting. So obviously he got the message through. We need to get how to get out of this storm. Let's fast. So if you're in a storm, try fasting. Try fasting. And then 
I went into Isaiah chapter 58, and I, I showed you at least 26 results of fasting. So, read Isaiah chapter 58. Read the first five or six verses. God is telling Israel how not to fast. You don't put sackcloth and ashes all over you, and you don't go around up fasting, and you don't put on a, a stormy face and tell everybody you're fasting like you're holier than thou. No, you're to keep your mouth shut, and you're to just fast. He's telling you, I don't want that kind of fast. This is the kind of fast I want you to do. And that means, you know what? Nobody knows you're fasting. And that way, if, you, if everybody down here knows you're fasting, you already got your reward. If you don't tell anybody, your reward's in heaven. And Jesus told us that. I'm, that's not my words. But if you do fast, and you do fast in the correct way, here's 26 things that I'm just going to pull out a few of them, maybe half of them, 26 results of a correct fast. Number one, it loosens the bonds of wickedness. So if you're having trouble from demonic forces, it will loosen that. Then those devils will be bound up, and you will be set free. Number two, it will help you undo a heavy burden. You're caught in a storm. This is a heavy thing. Could be a divorce, business failure. Could be a loss of a, a, a parent or a, or a child. It could be anything. It says, you know, he will undo those heavy burdens. Those are heavy burdens. I know lots of people. I counseled people. with the, They were business was unsuccessful, and they lost lots of money. I've counseled with other people that lost their marriages. You know what? Try fasting. If your marriage is in trouble, try fasting. Don't even tell your spouse what you're doing. Just do it. Or do it as a plan together. Do it. Second First Corinthians chapter 7 tells you that. You can fast together for a time and then come together. Number three, it will make the allow the oppressed to go free. So if you're praying for your, your brother who's bound up in drugs and alcohols and, and iniquities and sins, you know, it will help him being oppressed to go free. You're praying for him. I've seen that happen in my own life. Number And verse 8, it says that your healing will spring forth. Do you know there's healing in fasting? You need to fast. The church, for the most part today, does not fast, or they do fast, and they're not telling anybody, and they're doing it the right way, which is good. But I'm here to tell you, you need to fast. You don't have to fast for 14 days. You can ask God what you want to fast. You can fast a cup of coffee every morning for a week, and that's a fast. Or you can go a day or two with just water, just bread and water if you want. You're fasting what you like. You're showing God how important this is to you. Your healing will spring forth. You can fast for yourself. Your righteousness will go before you. Let's see. You have no righteousness, don't you? Who's going before you? The Lord. The Lord is going before you because you fast. He's not only your next point, he's your rear guard. Not only, not only does he have your back, he's in front of you. You have great hope in a storm by fasting. 
The glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. So he protects you from the front. He goes before you, and he's behind you. You can't lose. You can't lose. Number nine, or number, another point in verse nine, you will call on the Lord, and he will answer. A lot of people have told me, I pray, but I don't get no answer. Well, he will answer. He will answer. And it's more clear if you have weakened the flesh and made alive the spirit by weakening the flesh, by, by not eating like you normally eat, fasting food. Your flesh gets weak, your spirit gets stronger, and you will be able to hear the Lord. That's one way to do it. Another way is get out your Bible and read. That's the simplest way. In former days, God spoke through the prophets. But in these last days, he speaks through his son. And this is the word of God. And in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. You want to, you want to hear from God? Read your Bible. So many people come to me, I don't, God, don't speak to me. You know, I don't hear from God. I say, they already told me right there, they don't read their Bible. I already know what's going on. You know, it will help you to stop pointing the finger at others. Quit looking at their problems and go to yourself for your problems and pray about them. If you want to fast, you can fast for their healing, but not to point the finger to them. Somebody told me years ago, when you point the finger at somebody, you've got four pointing back at you including the thumb. Your light, now verse, let's see, your light will shine forth in the darkness. Now Jesus told us to be, we're the lights of the world. Let's, let's become lights. So fasting will bring a light. You're not to put on sackcloth and ashes and tell everybody that you're fasting. Somehow they'll know. And most of all, God knows. The Lord will be your, rear, your guide. Verse 11 of Isaiah 58. He'll be your guide. He will direct your steps, in other words. The Lord will bring health to your bones. Another, that's twice already that we see that fasting will bring health. It's important. Why would God do it? Anytime he wants to get something or drive it home, he tells you at least twice. Number, in verse, um, I don't know what verse it is. It says, he will repair the ruins. And Joel says at best, God will repair the years that the locusts have stolen. Stolen. You have a broken marriage or a, a, a lost son or daughter, God's going to restore those years somehow fast for them. Verse 13, the day of rest will be your delight. The day of rest will be your delight. A lot of people, a lot of people, you know, don't even like Sunday. I know back when the blue laws were in years ago, the people hated Sunday. Sundays are boring. Listen, if you're a Christian, you live for Sunday. At least I do. Because every day is Sunday. And by the way, you know, uh, the Lord will be your rest. Uh, the, the, your rest, uh, the day of rest will be your delight. I showed you in the New Testament, there really is no day of rest. Your rest is in Jesus Christ. Come unto me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Not Sunday. Jesus gives you rest. 
You've got to dig deeper into the Word of God. Some of you out there are probably saying, this guy's way over, uh, way, I don't understand this. Listen, Jesus is your day of rest. That's it. You rest in Him. Sunday, we, we love Sunday. Come, we can worship Him at a bigger scale, at a, in a, a group setting. We can worship the Lord. I mean, you could spend uh, probably three months on Isaiah chapter 58. The Lord will be your delight. He's your, you delight in him. Um, he, he will, you can skip upon the mountains, point number 25, that is. You can skip on the mountain. Read Habakkuk. That's the last, the last four verses of Habakkuk. You're like a deer that just jumps on the mountains and, and just, you can leap over things. You can leap over walls. And the last one I'll just bring up is you will possess the promised land. Not physically, but in your heart. You will be in, your, in, the, in the promised land, in your glory. I'll put it that way. So, Here's where we left off. There's eight more to go. I call this message just shipwrecked. Shipwrecked. Number Point number eight, there's going to be no loss of life. God was with Paul. There was a messenger that came to Paul and told him this, and he related it to the entire crew. And the entire crew believed Paul at this point. Paul had control. The centurion and the, and the captain of the ship have lost total control, and now God is in control through Paul at this shipwreck. And that's what you need to do. You need to let go and let God do it. And it says in verse 22nd verse of Acts 27 that God has given the all of them that sail with you. God, mercy, saved the entire ship was going to be saved. In other words, what these sailors had to do was believe it. If God said something, you need to believe it, even if it doesn't make sense. But, again, it will not violate any of his laws. He's not going to tell you to jump off a bridge. So you, can, you can take that as fact. It don't come from the Bible. He's going to, whatever he tells you to do will line up with the Bible. You'll have faith in God's word. You'll believe it. Because if God said it, he will do it. God said it, he will do it. So point number 10, have faith in God. Take heart, men, he says in verse 25. Have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. He's telling them, believe what I'm saying. A messenger of God appeared before me and told me this fact. And from now on, they know it. He told them not to leave port and Crete. They did it anyhow. A captain in a centurion wanted to get to Rome. They did it anyhow. He told them, you know, what to do, and they did it. And finally... God is directing everything to Paul so that these people might be saved. And when they get to the island, you're going to see more. Number 11, stay with the ship. 
A lot of soldiers wanted to jump overboard. They wanted to take the lifeboats and go to shore. And Paul said, you stay with the ship. God promised me, if you stay with the ship, you will be saved. I can't promise you if you go away from this ship. So you've got to have faith in God. If God said it, you just got to believe it. Have faith in God. If you say to this mountain, this northeaster storm, if you say to this mountain, be taken up and cast into the sea, and don't doubt in your heart, but believe that it, what you prayed will happen, God will do it. You know what? He didn't do it in the way they wanted him to. They wanted him to just stop the storm and they could row to shore or sail to shore. But he did it a different way to get their attention. And then when they get to the land, they're going to see miracle after miracle performed by God through the hands of Paul. Have faith in God. If he said do it, do it. If he said he's going to do it, and he told me, I'm just saying, I've said this many times from the pulpit, the big, one of the biggest things in my life is when I first got saved and my family had rejected me, God said to me that he was going to save my dad. Eighteen years later, I'm still praying for him to save my dad. And he did. My dad was a great guy. I love my dad dearly. But he just wanted no part of God. He was Roman Catholic. Went to church some Easter's and some Christmases. But I had faith in God for those 18 years. He actually told me, shut up. Don't ever tell me about Jesus again. And I just shut up. Because God said, it doesn't matter. God doesn't need me to bring my dad to the kingdom. He, needs, he has you guys all over the world. My dad could go to, to, to Florida, down to, you know, let's use something else. He'd go to Alaska and find out somebody's witnessing to him up there. He could go to Jamaica and somebody's witnessing to him there. He doesn't need me. But those prayers that you're praying count. If God said it, do it. Because he doesn't lie. That means it's truth. Okay? Number 11, stay with the ship. Keep your eyes on Jesus is the main point of this. You've got to keep your eyes on Jesus. Stay with the ship. He is your, he's, he's the plan. He's going to get you through. He's the one that's going to do it. Stay, keep your eyes on Jesus. Don't look at the pastor. Don't look at the, always look at the master that the pastor is preaching about. You know what? Stay with the ship. You know why else? Because you have a high calling. You have a high calling. You know, one of my family members not too long ago, within months, tried to say something to me, trying to say it's, they're gracious, but it was a negative remark. And all I said to them is, the reason why I do this is because I have a calling from God. And boy, did they shut up quick. You're called, you're called by God. Do what he called you to do. Stay with the ship. Paul said it this way. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after I preach to others, I myself will be disqualified. Especially pastors, and really, this is to all Christians. You don't want to be disqualified. 
And what you need to do is buffet your body. You need to, to keep it under control. You need to put it to death. You were crucified with Christ, remember? You need to put your body to death. You don't box against the air. You don't box at nothing. You're boxing for eternal life. Because you, someday, pastor or layperson, you're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ, and you're going to, you know, you, you could be disqualified in many areas you thought you were qualified. You could be disqualified because you didn't live up to what you preach, if I can say it that way. It's not how you begin your ministry. It's how you finish. And I want to finish well, and I know you do too. Paul says point number 12 is take food. Now, Paul is ending the fast. He's saying take food. Verse uh, 27, Acts chapter 27, and I want to read verse 33 and 34. And as day was about to dawn, Paul implored them all to take food, saying, Today is the fourteenth day you have waited and continued fasting without food and eaten nothing. Therefore I urge you to take nourishment, for this is for your survival, since not a hair will fall from your head of any of you. Now Paul's ending the fast. Okay, your spirits are now stronger. It's time to get, get your flesh stronger because you're going you're gonna to have to swim the shore. That's all there is to it. So get strength. Paul's ending the fast. See, there's a time for everything. There's a time to eat and there's a time to fast. You know what those times are. If you're in the storm of your life or if you're praying for somebody else's storm, you can actually add fasting to that. And I tell everybody, fasting is like the race car driver He's driving along at, what, 150 miles an hour. He comes at a straight stretch, and he hits that nitro button. And that nitro zooms him on the straight fresh, all, you know, straight stretch all the way up to 200 and some miles per hour. And that's what fasting does. It boosts your prayer. Your prayer can take off. So there's a time for everything. There's a time to eat. There's a time to fast. As Paul, as Ecclesiastes tells us, there's time for every season and a time for every matter. There's a time to be born and there's a time to die. There's a time to plant and a time to be planted. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to break down and a time to build up. There's a time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. It's different times under the sun. God will tell us what to do. How do you know what to do? How do you know what to do? You have faith by hearing the Word of God and reading the Word of God. Deuteronomy, Moses tells us that we should read the, the, the Word of God all the days of our life, not just on Sunday, not just on Sunday and Wednesday, not just on Sunday and Friday, all the days of your life. That means Monday through Friday. Take up your Bible and read it. It's important. Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God that is preached to you, that you read, that you, that even when you do a little devotional or you listen to preachers on the radio, 
You have to have a balanced diet. And when you take your food, you can't just go to a feely good church that tickles your ears when you go there. You go for the whole gospel. The whole gospel is the blood. You know, it's the confession. It's repentance. It's deliverance. It's acknowledging your sin. It's acknowledging your iniquities and your transgressions. It's, it's preaching the cross, the resurrection, and the blood of Christ. It's, it's a balanced diet. You just don't eat what you want to hear. You read the whole Word of God. You read through completely, and you have a balanced diet. So you aren't, don't have irons, these, uh, what do they call it? Vitamin deficiencies. You got to eat, eat right. Number thirteen of the of the sixteen is cut loose the anchors to the world. Then finally, they saw land. They knew they were going to crash. They cut loose the anchors. You you know how you solve the problem? You cut loose your anchors to this world. Once you become a Christian, you might have you might have to get rid of a few friends. I tell you what, just wait it out. They'll leave or get saved. But don't do what they do. When they say, let's go to the bar, you don't go to the bar. Say, I'm going to church. Bring them to the church. Don't let them influence you. You influence them. So you've got to cast off the anchors to the world. The application for this is every believer needs to have a light touch on this world. This is not your home. You're only here for a time. You're an alien and a stranger to this world, says Peter. You're an alien and a stranger. You don't belong here anymore. Once you were crucified with Christ and it's no longer you who live, your citizenship is not the United States of America. Your citizenship is not whatever country you were born in. Your citizenship is in the kingdom of heaven. You are a citizen of Almighty and Almighty God's kingdom. And that too in itself is a high calling. Stay with the ship. Hoist the foresail. In other words, now they put up the sail. The boat's light. The anchors are loosed. They put up the sail, and they're going to get as close to land as they could before that ship boat um, breaks up. So Acts 27.40 says, And casting off the anchors, they left them in the sea, at the same time loosening the bands and the rudders and hoisting up the foresail to the wind, they made for the breach. They braced themselves. There's going to come a time in your storm where you're going to have to brace yourself. Hold on for dear life. Hold on. Fifteen is head to the beach. You're going to have a willingness to get to that beach. Might be some, you might get a few scars, but you're going to make it to the beach. Because the Lord assured them if they stayed with the ship, they all would be saved. And he did that by the way it was fulfilled. So listen to what Paul says in his writings again in 2 Corinthians 4 7 through 10. But we have this treasure in an earthen vessel, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of you. 
for you may be troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. You're persecuted, but you're not forsaken. You're cast down, but you're, but you're not destroyed. You always are bearing about the body, in the body, the dying of the Lord Jesus. you got to head to the beach. Jesus is number one. You could be hard-pressed on every side, but you're not in despair. You're not troubled because you're with the Lord and you're doing what he told you to do. Number 16, there's a final attack. The devil knows that he lost all the, probably all the people on the ship that probably became believers through the Apostle Paul's ministry there. Now they're at an island and the devil says, oh no, I lost the ship, but I got to lose these people. This this guy is going to have all of Malta believing in Jesus. So he, they give a final attack. And in that attack, let me read it to you. And this is Acts chapter 28, verse 3 through 6. But when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, a viper came out by reason of the heat and fastened onto his hand. And when the barbarians saw the venomous creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, No doubt this man is a murderer whom though he had escaped from the justice of the sea, yet suffers he yet justice hath not suffered him to live. Howbeit he shook off Paul, shook off the creature into the fire, and took no harm, but they expected that he would swollen swollen up and die, and fall down suddenly dead. And when they were long in expectation and beheld nothing amiss, came to him and changed their minds and said that he is a god. Of course, Paul refused, refused to be uh, called a god. But here's what the devil tried to do. I lost the people on the ship to this, this apostle of God, and I, I could lose the island of Malta. So what does he do? He figures he'll kill Paul, let a viper son, because he, he isn't convinced that he's going to lose this battle. Even though he was defeated at Calvary by Jesus' last breath, he still thinks he's going to win this battle. So he call, he, he allows a viper to peer, bite Paul so he would drop over dead and the gospel would be shut down, but God had another plan. And instead, God does this you know, to, to people that he turns things around for people that love him. And what did he do? That viper, if Paul would have fell over dead, then people on the island probably wouldn't have heard the gospel. But since he lived to a viper, they're saying, well, he, he didn't die. This guy must be a prophet. He must be a god. I'm sure Paul reminded them that he was not, not a god, but he was an apostle, and he preached. And even Mark writes about it in Mark 15 or 16. And he said to them, Go ye into all the world. This is the great commission. And preach the gospel to every creature. He that believes and is baptized shall be saved. But he that believeth not shall be damned. And these signs will accompany them that believe in my name. In my name they'll cast out demons. They'll speak with new tongues. They'll take up serpents. And I know some versions say, most versions say, he you know, they, they, take, they take up serpents, but really the Greek word is arrow there, and it also means to take away. 
So therefore, this verse could read, and they shall take away serpents. That's a Greek meaning. And if they drink deadly poison, it shall not hurt them. Paul got poisoned by the snake, and it did not hurt him because he was preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. The devil will always try to steal God's glory when you come out of your trial, out of your storm. The devil will try to steal your glory. He'll try to shut your mouth so you don't tell your relatives what God did. He'll even tell your relatives to stay away from you for a while because they don't want to hear what God did. But you got to keep on speaking anyway because we already learned God doesn't need you. He can use anybody on the face of the earth that knows Jesus as their Savior. Think back to your life, church. Think back through your life, even if you're not a believer out there over the Internet or even here today. Think back in your life before you were a believer. When you were in dire straits and you might have called out to God when you were a little boy and the Lord answered you. I could think of bunches of times in my life when I went down to the church stepped and prayed over this thing or that thing, and God heard me. When I sat on that rock in South Vietnam and asked God to get me out of this country alive, and here I am. When, and so many other times, when, when my children were sick and doctors didn't have any hope for my son, I believed, and he's here. You know what? So that's why I'm going to end this with, and I've done this before, not too long ago, the lyrics to the song by Dolly Parton and Zach Williams. In those trials of your life, whether you were a Christian or not, you think back when you called out to someone, something, your higher power, whatever it is, I want to tell you something, it was answered, there was Jesus. It was him answering the prayer. Every time I tried to make it on my own, every time I tried to stand and start to fall, and all those lonely roads that I've traveled on, there was Jesus. Think about it. You're out in a boat on a major lake in a thunderstorm. Get me out of here. You don't know who you're talking to, but he got you out of here because you're here. When the life I built came crashing to the ground, and when the friends I had were nowhere to be found, I couldn't see it then, but I see it now. There was Jesus. When I sat on that rock in South Vietnam, they were assigned to the worst unit in the brigade. I called out to Jesus. I spent my tour in Vietnam, and you know when I figured Jesus answered that prayer? Six years later, six years later, he was there. In the waiting, in the searching, in the healing, and in the hurting, like a blessing buried in broken pieces, every minute, every minute, every moment, where I've been and where I'm going, even when I didn't know or couldn't see it, there was Jesus. For this man who needs amazing kind of grace, for forgiveness at a price I couldn't pay, 
I'm not perfect, so I thank God every day. There was Jesus. In the waiting, in the searching, in the healing, and in the hurting, like a blessing buried in broken pieces every minute, every moment, where I've been and where I'm going, even when I didn't know it or couldn't see it, there was Jesus. On the mountain, in the valley, there was Jesus. In the shadows, in the alleys, there was Jesus. In the fire and in the flood, there was Jesus. Always is and always was. No, I never walk alone. Never walk alone. You are always there with me. The Lord's always there. In your storm, even in your good times. There was Jesus. You may be shipwrecked. This was a physical shipwreck. But it points to a lot of spiritual truths. And I hope they came out correctly as the Holy Spirit uh, directs them to our hearts. Let's pray. Father, tonight we, or today, we thank you, Father, for your word. Every time I study it, it just gets more beautiful and beautiful. And I love it, Lord. I pray that we, your people, love reading your word. Because there is Jesus. You are the word. You were made flesh. And you dwelt among us. We walked with you. Some talked with you. Some lived with you. Some seen you. But we all testify to you. Because you are God and there is no other. Father God, I just want to lift a prayer up for my brother Brett in, in Brazil, or not Brazil, in, in Cairo, Egypt. Father, the team, I think their work is done, what they have planned. But I'm sure they'll be witnessing still. I want to lift that whole team up to you, that you would guide them and direct them. And Father, get those people that were saved, discipled by the local churches that, for the most part, are asleep. But there are some alive, from what I understand. And get them into church where they can be not just believers, but disciples that will go forth and preach the gospel to every nation and to their entire families. Give them safe travels as they fly from Egypt back home, each and every one. And may you receive glory. There, these people are probably never going to remember their names that we're preaching, but they will remember Jesus. To you be the glory. In Jesus' name we pray, Father. Amen and amen. God bless you all. I love you.